Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you haven't yet given us a five-star rating and a glowing review, pause this recording and give us a five-star rating and review us unless you're driving. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, an Anglican priest. Chris, how are you? Kirk, I'm great. I, Kirk, I think it's time. You know what I'm talking about? It's time for the pumpkin pie story. (laughs) We've teased it. It came up on social media in our Facebook discussion group, and I think it's time to tell the pumpkin pie story. So a trigger trigger warning for any parent out there who's ever changed a poopy diaper. So uh, I believe, Kirk, that was was there. It doesn't matter. All (laughs) I know is, you know, what you've heard, listeners uh, about Kirk is that Kirk loves to bake. You've heard him harass uh, FedEx drivers uh, for the sake of fresh yeast. It's a pound of yeast. Uh, you've heard Kirk's excitement at just making things that are seasonal. And so at their we were... failure to deliver fresh vegetables. Indeed. And um, and Kirk also, when he gets his mind set on something, like sometimes he gets really invested and excited. Uh, and one day when we were out there, uh, we were out there visiting, I think, for Thanksgiving. And he had some pumpkins. And he want, you know, the saying about when you have pumpkins, make pumpkin pie, right? I mean, when we say life gives you pumpkins. Yeah. And so, uh, Kirk, all day, uh, you know, did whatever it is. You, I'm not a baker. Uh, I like to cook. Not a big baker. But whatever it is that one does to prepare for making pumpkin pie, I don't know, roast the pumpkin in the oven, uh, purees it, seasons it, gets the pie crust ready, and then bakes the pie. Kirk had been looking at pumpkin pie, looking, texturing, like textured stuff. Uh, very excited, like for eight hours straight, excited, and just literally jumping around the house. Like, I cannot wait to try these pumpkin pies as, as one does. Sometimes life is an opera. Yes. And uh, at which point, it's uh, probably a half an hour before we were going to bust into the pies and enjoy these fresh made hand-baked, not frozen, not Mrs. Smith's or whatever brand like you might buy at a supermarket. Uh, this is homemade, real homemade, made in a home, pumpkin pies. Kirk goes into his son's bedroom and looks quizzically uh he has had his hands in pumpkin pie mix all day 
and he looks quizzically at what appears to be a uh, a grape-sized, grape-shaped hunk of pumpkin pie mix. Should we establish that I'm also colorblind, like moderately colorblind? Yeah. Okay. So maybe it didn't look particularly like pumpkin pie, but it, it, it somewhat like resembled it. It looked like pumpkin pie. And Kirk, not like having his mind on pumpkin pie all day, uh, reached down to pick it up only to discover that what he thought was pumpkin pie on the floor was in fact a loose turd <laughs> that had fallen out of a diaper. And there are several kids uh, who may have been the culprit. Uh, and I think we finally established who it was. That's not important for the story. <laughs> what is important to the story is that every father has had to handle poop, right? It's just part of being a dad. Like the, the white breaks, uh, and, and your finger pokes through, like as you're cleaning a bottom, like you get poop on your hands, but there was something about the whiplash, the, shock, the whiplash of thinking it was one thing the contrast between expectation and reality that Kirk's eight hours of anticipation and excitement at eating the pumpkin pie disappeared in an instant. And I think you made not one, but two pumpkin pies. Like you made a lot of fresh pumpkin pie and were, as I established, very excited to eat it. Um, you would not touch that pumpkin pie. <laughs> like you were so utterly grossed out that uh, you just could not bear uh, to just, the, just the, the texture, what it looked like to you. It, it, it was as unappetizing as possible. And again, whiplash, a second piece of whiplash. The first piece was thinking um, poop was uh, pumpkin pie and finding out it's like, in fact, poop. But then the whiplash of like looking at the pumpkin pie, which smelled good, looked good. But like in your mind, you just had a, a one association. And Kirk, how, how long did it take you to, to desire pumpkin pie? Because this was uh, not Thanksgiving. This was days before. At minimum, weeks. Weeks. <laughs> so question, question. Yeah. According to your memory, what sense, what, what sense organ did I use to perceive this? Oh, touch. Mystery substance. True. Oh, it's touch. Oh, it was by pure touch that I could tell? Okay. I believe it was pure touch. Like, and that's why it grossed you out. If you just looked at it, but you went to go pick it up as if it were pumpkin pie in my well, memory. But I've, as we know, like our memories are not reliable. No I've one's wandered back in my memory. I've sifted through that memory and held it up to the light. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember if I actually sniffed it. Okay. I can no longer remember because that may, that, it may, that may have been the thing that okay. turned okay. me off of pumpkin pie for several, for several weeks, because that is, that is not a memory that you can just kind of um, <laughs> push to the background and, 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 and leave, leave aside for a while. Yeah, what makes this, what makes this a, a great story and a story that everyone loves to tell in our family is that of the two of us, <laughs> there is one of us uh, that finds uh, unsanitary situations particularly galling. And one of us that is usually pretty casual about unsanitary situations. Yes. Christopher, yeah. Who is more typically galled by an unsanitary situation? Oh, that would be that would be me. That would be you. Yeah. And who is usually me. more casual? That would be you. 
<laughs> so I, I'm the unlikely candidate to have happened to this story. But like, like you said, I think it was the whiplash of like spending the entire day with this expectation that I would sit down to this lovely steaming pumpkin pie and instead I couldn't get out of my mind the other thing. So where uh, the other instance uh, in our common history where there was uh, a loose, loose turd. Um, I think we mentioned on the podcast before where we were at the cabin and pop-up casually picked up what oh, happened no. to be uh, a loose turd um, from the, from just the floor. And I was just so disgusted. Like where else like have, 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 like usually diapers do their job. And I was so disgusted. Um, I, I just like jumped in the lake um, seeking <laughs> its cleansing uh, power. Like and Naaman from last week. Like Naaman. <laughs> Kirk, uh, I have uh, w- one more uh, comment to make regarding, and this is regarding memory. And uh, a podcast which is unbelievably uneven is <laughs> This American Life. There, there are some episodes which are truly amazing and yes. you encounter like really interesting stories or uh, sometimes just shocking stuff. Like they just cover content that, that is, that I wouldn't otherwise encounter. Um, and then sometimes some weeks it's just like, why did they feel like this was a story worth telling? Uh, but they did uh, a deep dive on memory. Um, be, and I think, oh my gosh, it, <laughs> it may have been a different podcast. Now that I'm saying this, it may not have been this American life. Anyway, I was listening so this to a podcast. Is a great musing on memory and the <laughs> yes. reliability of memory. So go ahead. Uh, and the, the name of the other podcast is eluding me, but, um, but anyway, the fact is um, they did a deep dive on memory and the reality is what we think are memories are memories of memories. And in fact, we oftentimes reinforce false memories. So like the first and second time, if we, misremember something um what we convince ourselves is the actual event um in fact was just our memory of it which over time could be distorted but then as we kind of go back to that we're not playing back the event we're playing back our distorted memory of that event so this this is why stories change over like change over time or why people have different accounts of the same story question is this why children say they remember vividly events that they can't possibly remember but they're just seminal like seminal pieces of family lore that they're playing back the tape and um that tape may or may not be accurate as as like time time goes on right because there's a there's a um an age before which you essentially remember nothing right sure yeah and and so like maybe in yeah as the stories have been told they've they've kind of uh have you had your kids like sincerely wide-eyed say oh yeah i remember that and you're you're thinking in your head like you were too. You there know, are things that seem that. unbelievable <laughs> that they remember that they say they remember. And, and uh, who's to say what, what, what they've kind of convinced themselves they remember as we just established. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what, what precipitated uh, the demand for this was a, was a debate between um, pumpkins and, and apples. And so it, it seems that um, there are partisans on either side. And uh, Christopher, do you have a, do you have a position on the matter? As far as what decoration or taste, because apples are way better in, in taste than pumpkins. <laughs> right. Like that, you don't no one actually likes pumpkin. What they like is cinnamon and nutmeg. Sure. And sugar. Sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, pumpkin, like the, the yeah, like the texture of the pumpkin pie is is probably the least good part. Uh, <laughs> which is why people like pumpkin spice lattes and pumpkin right. spice cookies and pumpkin spice cake. Uh yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So I but but I was just asking in general, you can go with that in either in either way. Like 
Pumpkins or apples? First of all, decorations. Pumpkins. Oh, without a okay. doubt. I okay. mean, pumpkins, pumpkins and gourds are the fall decoration. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, we have a big kitchen island, this big countertop. And usually um, at the, at the begin at the center of that is, is a small pumpkin and then some decorative gourds. And yeah. like, that's, that's the fall decorative yeah. theme. I think <laughs> this is a memory thing. I could be totally making this up. Uh, yeah, I am. I was going to say that we have a, a, a gourd wreath, but no, we don't have a gourd wreath. But we do have a bunch of different wreaths we hang in the door, including an egg wreath um, for, for Easter. But uh, it's, pump, gourds are the, are the dominant so, decorative theme. So I, uh, I, my new snooty cooking thing, since this is a, a, a theme here at the beginning, is uh, New York Times, the New York Times cooking app. Mm. Um, so they did such a good job of luring me in with their, uh, daily and weekly emails and then like putting 80% of the stuff, the good stuff behind a paywall. And so oh. I finally ponied up. Oh, and, and, oh my and, goodness. I'm shocked. Oh, I'm using it. Oh, I'm using it. It's well, I'm great. sure you're using it, it's but great. I'm shocked that you ponied up <laughs> and, uh, and the trendy new fall ingredient in cooking. You ready for this maple? Uh, oh, oh! I mean, that is so 2018. Okay. Uh, no, it is. Um, it's uh, shoot. What are they called? Um, the not not not. Um, what are the yellow edible gourds called? I'm having an aphasic moment. Yeah, like squash. Yeah, squash. Squash okay. blossoms. Blossoms like the blossom. Dicing up the blossom like the flower. Like if you walk into the garden and see like the the, the squash plant and then the blossom. Um, there are now recipes that are asking for squash blossoms that are, that are, you take a chef's knife and you chop them up and then you put the blossom in. So that is a bridge too far. I will eat lots of squash this fall. Are are you transitioning to, to a segment when we talk about a bridge too far? The World War II movie? Oh, shoot. (laughs) I'm not. Uh, I've never seen that movie. Yeah. I'm just saying, um, in terms of trendy cooking things, I'm not. Sure. I'm not going to the, the squash. Well, blossom. I mean, it, if if you if you eat the blossom, you, you don't get the squash. I mean, the blossom turns into a squash. Am I am I wrong? Don't blossoms turn into fruit? Isn't that the way of horticulture? Yeah. So I, I don't know. Do you have to harvest? If you harvest the one, you don't get the other. I don't know. Like I I, I actually armed with this question. I went and examined my neighbor's garden. Um, but then I was distracted because like my son nearly hit me in the head with a baseball. And then I, I, I didn't finish my reconnaissance mission. And that's a true story. Actually, that is, that is why I think I never found the answer to that question. Uh, but, but, but Christopher, um, I, I, I'm glad that, uh, when you've encountered, um, child waste on the floor, uh, you've jumped into the lake and, 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 and gone into the water um, voluntarily. Um, whereas, whereas some people, as we've read in scripture, um, when, the, when, they, when they've been thrown into the water or into the fire, it's been because of demon possession. Mm. Shall we look at the gospel for this week? Let's.
This week's gospel comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that, the crowd, that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kirk, let's talk today about the word faith. We know that this is a common word in, in the New Testament. Uh, we see Paul write in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Um, so we know that we are saved by grace through faith. Um, we know that we are justified by faith, as Paul teaches in the book of Romans. <clears throat> and uh, we see uh, Jesus talk about faith in a number of ways. He says uh, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, he says, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And so as we seek to build a biblical theology and understand healing and understand faith and um, the faith component of healing, uh, we are trying to build, put together from scripture, reading all of scripture, put together a theology, um, understanding that the Bible is the word of God and, and, and that God speaks many things in scripture. Uh, but instead, um, we tend to think reductionistically, right? That, that we want to use the Bible instead as a quarry, um, kind of looking for proof texts of things. Um, so it's typical if someone um, is looking on faith or healing, they would look at today's scripture and Kirk, what might um, 
someone say, uh, especially if you're coming from the Pentecostal tradition, what might someone say looking at today's scripture? Uh, I mean, a, a bunch of things. Uh, uh, the more faith one has, mm. um, the more miracles one will see or perform. Yeah. Is that that's what you're getting at? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, so the, the logical conclusion, if uh, we pray for healing and we do not see healing, the logical conclusion would be what, Kirk? That there wasn't enough faith or prayer present. That someone present um whether it's the people praying or the person who is seeking healing does not have faith that they lack faith um and, and kirk this is not at all what this bit of scripture says and this is not at all what um the uh as we interpret scripture with scripture and look at the whole of scripture that is not um what scripture says um we do see um people who have faith be healed though. And, and that is an important thing. Um, Kirk, we, I'm, I was trying to think uh, this morning as I was thinking about uh, the podcast, I was trying to think of the stories that we encountered. I want to say it was later in Mark um, earlier this year where uh, healing was sort of tied to faith and where, where there was faith as Jesus went out, um, where there was faith. Um, it wasn't that Jesus was hindered whether there wasn't faith, but Jesus um, acted and healed where there was faith. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was um, a prophet is not received in his hometown, mm. right? That was that That's passage. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and so it's important to me uh, to, to not take the wrong lesson here. Um, is It's that we are called to faith, but it, the amount of our faith is is not important. What, what matters is the object of our faith, right? Um that in fact, this man who, who, like, this is a cry that each of us has. Um, like, I believe, help my unbelief. Yes. Um, and, and Jesus doesn't say, like, uh, if you have one mustard seed of faith, that's good. But if you have, like, an apple size faith, that's even better. Um, what's important is, is, is the object of our faith, and that's Jesus. Um, and, and that's uh, what he's teaching here. Um, uh, the, the man says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus almost like laughs at him. If you can, what are you, what are you saying? All things are possible for one who believes. Does Jesus say for one who believes enough? <laughs> no, um, for, for one who believes. Um, and, uh, and, and so th that's, that's the lesson to take here. Not, not that, um, uh, that there's deficiency of faith, um, when there is not healing, um, uh, and, and, and so I think uh, people have been really, really hurt um, by teaching to the contrary. And people have taught to the contrary because they are looking very narrowly at the scriptures and really misinterpreting. Because even in context, um, for, for this, Jesus is not teaching that it is like the amount of faith. Um, but then we, we do have the issue of, of uh, what is interesting. Um, the disciples ask him why, the, why it is not cast out. And, and I'm going to come back to this a little bit later in the, in the podcast, but it, just the sequence of things in, in Mark 8 and 9 is kind of interesting. Um, in uh, Jesus, uh, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Uh, Jesus foretells his death and resurrection, and then the transfiguration, and then this story. Um, and uh, so they've just seen the glory of Jesus on the mountain. Uh, and then they, they come back and the, and, and the disciples are kind of uh, deficient. Uh, 
but but we also remember that Jesus, um, and I don't remember where he says this, but, but he he promises the disciples, you'll do many things greater than what you know what I do. Um, and then in Acts three, we see them the disciples do great things that um, Peter and James are on the way to the temple, and there's there's the man um, born lame, um, and and uh, they say silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I can give to you, and they heal him. Um, and and so uh, we see at this point that that the disciples are not ready. Um, and, and this is Jesus' uh, method of teaching, is this teaching by instruction and teaching by immersion, that Jesus, um, he doesn't keep them in the classroom for three years and then send them out, um, that he, he has a certain amount of, of um, mentor-protege type teaching where he walks with them and he teaches, but then he sends them out and sometimes they succeed, sometimes they fail and they come back and they ask questions. And, and, but ultimately, um, this power uh, is given to them, to the church. And, and we see it there in Acts 3. All right, brother. I have questions. <laughs> I have questions. All right. So you said um, it is not the amount of faith that is present, but rather the object of faith, God, that performs the healing, right? Am I mischaracterizing you? You're not mischaracterizing. Okay. Yet we read earlier in Mark of the parable of the mustard seed. If one but had faith the size of a mustard seed, um, one, could, one could move mountains. So isn't just a little bit of faith enough to, uh, to move mountains, to perform miracles? Yeah. But you're saying why, <laughs> like why, why was this insufficient? Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, th- th- I, this is a common reading of that passage right faith the side of the size of a mustard seed um i think that is sometimes used to 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 bolster the intuition that you gave voice to previously right that like when there's ineffective prayer it's because there wasn't true faith because if there was even faith the size of the mustard seed the prayer would be efficacious Mm. for the healing right yeah yeah but like like i i feel like i tried to to to, to clarify that that's not at all what Jesus is teaching. Um, <laughs> so that is a misapplication these are two of yeah, the parable. Absolutely. Of the yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. All right. That was my first question. But there Jesus is, is exhorting them to have faith. It doesn't matter like the amount of faith that you have. It's, it's the power of, of the master to whom we are joined by in faith. And so um, in, in this case, I, I think um, Jesus is saying like, it's, it's, it's not so simple. Um, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. It's sometimes like persistence, um, it, you know, and Jesus teaches about persistence with like the really interesting story of the persistent widow, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, I love that story, by the way. Mm. Okay, so uh, question, question number two. Why do some exorcisms not take, I guess for lack of a better word, um, some people just aren't, uh, aren't, aren't healed or, or continue to remain um, deeply troubled or, uh, or admired in uh, diabolical sin, even after exorcisms. I mean, there are, there are I mean, the church still performs exorcisms and, mm-hmm. and, and the gospel is super clear that God's ministers are given authority. Um, yeah. So why do some not take? That's, that's a very good question. Um, (laughs) Far beyond, I shouldn't, I don't want to say my pay grade, but far beyond me, um, because I'm not an expert in, um, in healing or on exorcism. 
Uh, but I do know, uh, I, I do have people close to me who are, um, and who, who have, uh, like this is a particular gift of theirs. And, uh, th this is, is a part of ministry that I have very little experience in. So I can only really pass along what I've heard from them. And I used to have, um, and I don't know where I got it. Um, but I've, you know, recently heard a Christian express the belief that somebody who um, is filled with the Holy Spirit cannot be um, uh, afflicted with demon. Um, and so, so some people smarter than me might say something about the difference between affliction and possession. Um, but I, I think even affliction is, um, I mean, certainly uh, demons can afflict uh, those who are Christians, right? Um, like we, like our, uh, our enemies are not just flesh and blood. Right. And we are afflicted sometimes in ways, um, not possessed, um, but afflicted. And, uh, maybe those aren't so separate, uh, concepts. Um, maybe there's some overlap there, but, um, a teaching that, that I received that I only remember parts of, um, uh, that although we wield this power, uh, we were, uh, warned not to um, use it lightly because of course it's the power of Christ um, that casts out demons, right? It's not you or me, it's Christ. And in fact, in the book of Acts, we see um, this really interesting story about the seven sons of Siva who are not believers and yet are using Jesus name um, to cast out demons. I don't remember which city this was in, but uh, what's interesting is that the demon, they use Jesus name to cast out the demon and that's effective, but the demon looks at them <laughs> and the, the line is really interesting. It's like Peter, I know, you know, James or like whatever apostle I know. Cause like, they've like, they've cast out my friends or whatever, but you guys, like, I don't know you, <laughs> like, who are you? Um, and, uh, like the demons like go after them. Um, and so like the lesson to take away from that is like to, to not like go into this lightly, though we wield the power of, of Jesus Christ, um, that, that like we ought to be ready for this. Um, but part of the readiness of, of uh, an exorcism or, or helping somebody who is suffering affliction is the reality that Christians can be afflicted or even possessed by demons, um, sometimes because Christians have invited them in, not like and again, I'm, I'm way beyond my expertise here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean like they let's, said, let's just they, get out over our skis. Shall we? Yeah. All right. So I'm way out over my skis, <laughs> but like not an invitation, like a, a, an explicit invitation, but, but by, by a, a sin in their life, hmm. um, by uh, indulging uh, things like pornography or this or that um, activity, which, which um, can invite uh, into our hearts um, uh, demons and, uh, the teaching that I received uh, was that if you um, seek to cast a demon out of somebody who is not yet willing and ready to part with that. So if someone's like, I'm afflicted and I'm like, okay, I'm going to cast out this demon in the name of Jesus. And yet this person is not ready to part with the sin that has invited this demon in um, that, right. that, that is a very bad move because like uh, further damage can be done. So over my skis, uh, that said, um, I think this is all very complicated and we ought to seek out people who are very wise in this, because if, if we do not, um, uh, we can ask questions like that and say like, why? Like I use the name of Jesus. Uh, I've been given this power and yet this person wasn't healed, Kirk. My point of this is, is that there may be a lot of reasons why, why that is. Some of it is that the person 
may, may, um, that sin may still have a foothold in their life. They may still want that thing. All right. It's, it's almost like you are unintentionally, well, you are unintentionally leading into a, a new story that I want to share. Mm. Uh, this is, this was in the Telegraph, an English newspaper, uh, September 7th from, from Madrid, Spain. Headline, priests fear Bishop is possessed after he falls for writer mm. of satanic erotica. Mm. Did you see this headline? I did. Xavier Novell had become Spain's youngest bishop when named in 2010, but he resigned in, in late August. The, the subheadline is sources say the Pope told Xavier, Xavier Novell to undergo an exorcism after he began relationship with author Silvia Caballol. Caballol? and quit his duties. A Spanish bishop known for performing exorcisms mm. has resigned after reportedly falling in love with an author of satanic-themed erotica fiction, sparking fears among his former Catholic colleagues that he has been possessed by the devil. Xavier Novell, who, who became Spain's youngest bishop when named in 2010, resigned in late August with church authorities in Catalonia, citing personal reasons for decisions he had fallen in love uh, with this with this mm. author. Um, she's thirty eight years old. Her her I guess her most famous. <laughs> did you see the title of her most famous book? I didn't. I only saw the headline. The Hell it... of Gabriel's Lust, hmm. and the erotica trilogy Amnesia. Uh, Miss Miss Calayol, a divorcee, is described by her publishing house as a quote dynamic and transgressive author who turns upside down our ideas of morality and ethics. Uh, she has asked prophetically in the past, what happens when attraction is stronger than any code of ethics? Uh, Christopher, Kirk, this, Kirk this, this is an unbelievable uh, yeah, illustration of yes. what I was just stammering through. Kirk, exactly, exactly. That, that, yes. that a man of God... Um, <laughs> an exorcist. Uh, an exorcist um, <laughs> through lust for a woman. Yeah. Um, not explicitly, probably, but through the sin of lust, um, implicitly, like without saying it, invited a demon into his life yep. that has made him walk away from his ministry yes. and pursue a woman who is 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 a, a satanic woman. Yeah. Like what else can explain that? Yep. And yeah. it wasn't because he wasn't a Christian. It wasn't be because he wasn't filled with the spirit. It was that through um, through this is why we guard against sin, Kirk. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So I'm sorry for like going really dark, but that, that just seemed to dovetail with the, with this My passage gosh. for this week. Shall we, shall we uh, make a transition abruptly to a, a, a source of great hope, mm. our source of greatest hope? Let's. <laughs> For our theology segment today, I am I'm excited to pivot away from fallen bishops that may be mm. possessed, who fall in love with demonic authors, and talk about the loveliest thing that we could possibly think of as Christians, and that is the cross of Christ. Um, next week, uh, September 14th, is Holy Cross Day. Uh, and I think that is super appropriate for us, Christopher. Our founding vision 
uh, for this when we when we talked about kind of what do we want to be the underlying themes the foundation of our podcast was that we would be cross focused and uh, and the near the hearer the listener cannot hear you nod but you are nodding <laughs> vigorously and affirmatively. Um, so this feast day uh, in different church bodies has different names. Um, I love the simplicity of our name, Christopher. Mm. Um, it is alternately called Exaltation of the Holy Cross or Universal Exaltation of the Holy and Life-Giving Cross. That is a mouthful. Um, or simply, as we say in the Anglican Communion, Holy Cross Day. It's a liturgical feast celebrated on September 14th to honor the cross on which Jesus Christ was crucified. In Eastern churches, the feast dates back to the dedication of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the site of Christ's tomb in Jerusalem, circa 335 AD. It was adopted by the Western Catholic Church in the 7th century, right, so 300 years later, and is also observed in various Protestant denominations, including Lutheranism and our own beloved Anglican Communion. The universal symbol of the Christian faith, the cross, represents Christ's victory over sin, death, and the devil. So this feast celebrates the redemptive transformation of our barbaric instrument of torture in the hands of the Roman army, Christopher. But it, uh, that uh, barbaric instrument of torture is transformed into a divine tree of life, the new tree of life, not the one from which we ate of our death in the garden but the one which will give us eternal life that brings hope, salvation, forgiveness, and ultimately reconciliation to all of humankind. Christopher, this is a great feast day. Oh, we could even say it's our patronal feast day, right? Given our founding vision of Haber Bros. I think a great text, Christopher, maybe to, to, to meditate on, and you can pivot in another direction if you want, but I see you nodding as well. This is such a great text, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, as we look at the cross and its centrality for us as Christians, is Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. I'll, uh, I'll read it briefly. And then Christopher, maybe if you have some thoughts on the Holy Cross, the loveliness of it and um, its benefits for us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. I mean, it's a stunning. The, the Christ hymn, as, as it is known, is, is mm. stunning. It is stunning. Uh, and it, it's a reminder, Kirk, for us um, that uh, sometimes it's like, I feel like we say the same thing over and over again, but we ought to, right? Uh, like, this, like this, the cross is our theology, right? Amen. Yeah. Um, it is important for us to always remember it. This thing that we say again and again and again, that in Christ, the way up is down. Yes. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the, these events, uh, the sequence of events in Mark 8 and 9 are 
very interestingly structured that that Peter can has this like high point as he confesses Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living. Well, he doesn't, he just says the Christ um, in the other gospels. He's the son of the living God. Uh, it just, I don't even know. And, and, and like Peter gets some mad dap for that, like uh, <laughs> high fives, like exaltation, like Jesus, like, yeah, you the man. Um, and then immediately Jesus goes into this teaching where Jesus foretells his death and resurrection. And like, let's remember the context that Jesus was teaching in. Uh, the Romans had been oppressing the Jews for generations and the Jews saw themselves as this chosen people, right? And so um, what they were looking for was a military Messiah to, to be victorious in all the earthly ways. Um, and as Jesus is describing his path um, of, of the way up being the way down, something mm -hmm. that he had been establishing the whole time, uh, you know, if you want to be first, first be a servant to yeah. all, right? If you want to be great, uh, those who will be first will be last and those last first. And, and God's favor for the marginalized, for the widow and the orphan, um, for those that society does not deem worthy, that, that God exalts those, that God um, humbles the exalted and exalts the humbled. That's God's way. Um, and so, so as Jesus is talking about this, this path of suffering and death, uh, I don't even know if the disciples even heard him talk about the resurrection because they're so worked up at this point of, of uh, what, what, what looks, what Jesus describe, is describing to them sounds like defeat, mm. but in fact is victory, right? Um, and Jesus teaches the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected. <laughs> this is the Christ, Kirk. He's going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And then I'm sure the disciples stop listening. And after three days rise again. Um, so, so Peter rebukes Jesus uh, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And if we think back to the temptation of Jesus, um, you know, the things that Satan did and said to tempt Jesus, um, there are these very things um, like, uh, why don't you exalt yourself uh, in, in ways and not follow the path set of suffering and death set out for you? Um, which is in fact why um, Jesus calls Peter Satan. And so it's interesting that uh, Peter, uh, I love that our scriptures have this authentic portrait of, of our heroes of the faith. We have an authentic portrait of David, the David's great failure um, with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. Um, that that's given, passed on to us. That David um, not only um, makes sure that that's, that we all know that about him, but we, that we see uh, the, the 51st Psalm, uh, this, this powerful Psalm of, of contrition. Um, and, and we see David's heart, um, that, that he's not defined by his sin, um, but, but by God who cleanses him from sin. And so Peter, who uh, has some great things, but also some very public failures, denying Jesus three times, um, uh, rebuking Jesus when Jesus talks about the way of the cross. Um, in first Peter, uh, chapter four, we have this beautiful passage, um, starting at verse 12, Peter writes, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And uh, I think in my life, Kirk, I, I am surprised when fiery trials come. I'm surprised when suffering comes. I'm surprised when weakness comes, um, where I would prefer to minister out of my strength. Um, but um, that's not God's way. And oftentimes I find myself ministering out of weakness. And um, I'm grateful for the, the witness of scripture that, that teaches us that uh, not only that, that the way of ministry is one of suffering and of weakness, but teaches us how to do it. Um, we're giving so many examples in the apostles. And I mean, we could talk for hours about uh, the example of, of each of the apostles, but I'll, I'll just close with this, Kirk, um, with Paul writing in 1 Corinthians, uh, the first chapter, verses 23 through 25, Paul writes, but we preach Christ crucified, hmm. a stumbling block to Jews and folly or foolishness to Gentiles. So like the, the, the Jews, and the Gentiles each had their own separate um, reasons for like why the, the cross is, is it's like any like a crucified messiah was a contradiction in terms essentially um and uh and yet uh paul continues but to those who are called both jews and greeks christ the power of god and the wisdom of god for the foolishness of god is wiser than men and the weakness of god is stronger than men and what paul is saying here is that um to those who don't get it um the, the cross will always look like defeat um, but those who are in Christ, uh, not just the cross, but um, as we take up our cross in daily life, um, it will not be a surprise to us. Uh, and as we are united with Christ um, and, and, and we can see uh, last episode, I, I used the word tell us a couple times. And that's, that's been a word that's uh, been in my mind a lot for the last um, couple months. Um, as, as like something we should talk about more, like what is the telos of this? Uh, what is the end? What are we aiming at? What is the end point here? And as Christians, we know what the end is and what the end will bring. It will bring the wiping away of every tear. And in the meantime, let us, Kirk, not be discouraged um, when uh, trials come, but let us be encouraged knowing that the way up is down. Amen. So I want to kind of meditate on for a moment, Christopher. Uh, I, I like the direction you went because it was a different direction than, than, than I was thinking as I was typing up notes for today. Um, and that the heart of the cross to me is this, um, this, 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 this thick uh, concept of atonement, right? Mm. Um, and there are lots of theories of the atonement. Uh, atonement, broadly speaking, means um, the reconciliation um, between um, holy God, creator, and um, in, in sinful, straying, fallen man, right? Um, and the cross is oddly the unlikely vehicle for that reconciliation, the putting, putting back together what was ripped apart in the garden. Uh, and this is, this is woven so deeply throughout all of scripture. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's typically achieved through a sacrifice, a propitiation for sin, right? The, um, uh, the sin of, of a body of people or of a specific person is, is, is put upon a specific animal. Um, we read in Leviticus, uh, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. 
Um, so here the bull offering was specifically for the priest and his family um, to cleanse him and to make him fit for uh, priestly activities. And we and have just atonement- as, and just as a technical term, um, like propitiation and atonement are are different. But pr- propitiation is the turning away of wrath, as yes. in like what like as as the sins are confessed, and like the wrath of God is turned away from the people and to right. the Wait, um the the animal. Yeah, yeah. Think of like ricochet, like a bullet yeah. ricocheting yeah. off and and hitting something. So else. atonement is made through the propitiation. That's I guess correct. would be the technical. Yeah. Well yeah. said. Well said. Um, we also have uh, atonement for the people in Leviticus that is. Um, provided for, uh, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with his blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. Um, and so uh, it, there's this deep, uh, what, what C.S. Lewis would call in Chronicles of Narnia, this deep magic. Mm. It's uh, somehow written into the fabric of reality, the fabric of creation, um, that there are means for we who have strayed um, through, through the sacrifice of something innocent, of, re- of rendering us clean and fit and reunited with our maker. Um, and, and this is probably a, this is a, an aside that we shouldn't go down too far, but probably a, a really powerful refutation of Marcionism, right? That the, that the New Testament is, has something new or different or a refutation of the Old Testament, right? Like what we just read there, that's the gospel for the Israelites, right? A way of be getting clean and right before God, um, that they, uh, God has mercy upon them and provides them grace with benefits that they did not earn. That something else had to die to make them clean. And doesn't that sound like the cross, Christopher? Something else had to die to make us clean? Yeah. Uh, and this is, of course, on Good Friday, what we marvel at um, in, in, in gratitude and love um, that, that, that God himself died and made us, us clean. So there are different theories of the atonement, right? Like moral exemplar, that we see the true and most perfect picture of love. Um, that God himself, who is himself love, we read, um, becomes for himself the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Um, there's also the r- ransom theory that uh, the, the cross purchases us out of sin um, and death. There's the Christus victor, that the cross is the victory over sin and the grave. And then there's a substitutionary atonement, which is that Jesus Christ is the substitute for our just punishment for our sins. And as I've taught in a Sunday school class, the trick question, which of these theories is correct? All of them, right? Um, and I just want to read from one of, one of uh, the most beloved passages in all of scripture from John 3, um, the, uh, the, the midnight discourse with Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In other words, Christopher, the cross is the means of cosmic reconciliation, of our atonement in all the senses, um, moral exemplar, ransom, Christus victor, and substitution, in, in, in all of those senses. 
Um, we who were at war with God are reunited with the source of our being. Jesus taught on the road to Emmaus that all the law and the prophets was pointing to him. Um, so the Levitical law that prescribes the cleansing, the atonement of Aaron and the priests, um, that was pointing to Jesus. Um, the goat that would render all the Israelites temporarily clean, that too was pointing to Jesus. The Passover um, was a prefiguring of Good, Pride, Good Friday. It was a propitiation, that is the averting the justice of God from its proper victim, firstborn sons, to an innocent substitute, the mm -hmm. lamb, right? The lamb's mm -hmm. blood had to be put on the doorpost and the lintels in order, order that the, um, the angel of death may pass over all of the houses of Israel. We, along with John the Baptist, call Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, not who causes for one night the angel of death to pass over, but forever when his blood is applied to the doorposts and lintels of our hearts, will um, the angel of death pass over us when we are in his presence face to face. Um, it took material, divine blood, God's blood on a material cross to accomplish the atonement. And still, material, material divine blood applies the spiritual benefits of that cross to you and me. And we receive that when we receive his body and blood at Holy Communion. Um, which, and uh, Christopher, if you're looking in the notes here, just, just because I felt like it, I used the old English spelling. I, I copied and pasted from the 1549 Book of Common Prayer, Thomas Cramer's words, um, which are lovely. Um, this is the beginning of the, um, of the prayer of consecration out of the 1549 Book of Common Prayer. And quite similar, Christopher, to the standard Anglican text um, that you use now. O God, heavenly Father, which of thy tender mercy didst give thine only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made thereby his one oblation once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. And those benefits, that cross, um, that is what reunites us, what undoes, what undoes the sins of Adam and allows us to stand spotless and blameless before him on that last day and live with him forever. And that, Christopher, is why the cross is the loveliest thing of all to us. Amen. <laughs> Sorry for monologuing. As you can tell, this is a theme I love. Well said. Do you have any concluding thoughts or, or shall we close in prayer? Um, no. Do you have any concluding thoughts? <laughs> nope. I feel I've like we're going from 100 miles an hour to zero, but um, that's all I right. Think that's a, I think that's a wrap. You yeah. don't need runway to land a plane, do you? Like, I mean... On, a, on an aircraft carrier, it takes like 50 yards. Right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Kirk, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Oh God, because without you, we are not able to please you. Mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was lifted high upon the cross, that he might draw the whole world 
to himself. Mercifully grant that we who glory in the mystery of our redemption may have grace to take up our cross and follow him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week.